ready to preach my last sermon. I know, you'll get over it. (laughs) Hey, I was thinking um, this morning um, about when your new pastor comes. You know, that's how exciting it is for Pastor Nathan to be coming. And I really, I, I want someone, I think I might have somebody lined up to make this happen, but I want, when he's introduced to this stage one week from today, for the very first time, I want someone to say when he walks out, behold the lamb. <laughs> right? I mean, so that's the, so that's, you got it? Oh, dear Lord, what have I done? <laughs> so anyhow, that's the good news. The lamb is on the way. The lamb is coming, and it's really exciting. I mean, I saw uh, that they posted a picture on, on Facebook when they were getting on the Alcan with their U-Haul truck and all that. So it's exciting, man. Uh, it won't be too many days until he's here. Uh, I do want to say thank you to um, all of you for um, being so kind and um, friendly to me and and to my wife. We really, really appreciate it. Um, There were uh, friends and family that told me uh, when they heard I was moving to Alaska on January 1, they said, you're crazy! And they were right. I crazy, <laughs> but it's it's been it's been really great, you know. The, but the people that told me I was crazy for coming to Alaska in the middle of the winter, they went on and they said, "But it's so beautiful," you know. And they were right about that. But what they didn't tell me, they didn't warn me that the people of Alaska and in particular this church, are more beautiful than the scenery that is all around us. And I, I mean that. That's, does that sound like I'm pandering? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking really about you when I made that comment. Yeah, you know. So um, I, I, I also want to add that um, you really have a, a terrific staff. I mean, the staff that you have, um, I don't know if you know how fortunate you are to have them, but you are really fortunate. They, they love God. Uh, they love the church. Uh, they, they work hard. They love you. And that's a rare combination to find in the church. And so you're very, very fortunate to have uh, all of the folk that uh, are staff in this church. And then the leadership team is second to none that I've worked with, and, um, and, and I mean that. I'm, I'm really, really serious. They, they think through the issues carefully. They make wise decisions, uh, except they called me up here. That's a little bit whatever, but anyhow. But so it's been, it's been really, really good, and I want you to know I'm, I'm really, really grateful that... Um, you allowed me to come. It's been my honor. It really has. So let me pray for you. Father, we take a moment now and just thank you for 
what you've done in this church and what you're going to do in, in the life of this church. We're thankful for Pastor Nate that's on his way with his family. We pray, of course, that you would protect them across the miles. And we ask that you would bring them here safely. And I pray right now for his ministry and ask that you would bless his time here as he works with this great church. And I just pray that as the months turn into years, that uh, the folk that are here might recognize that those are the best days ever in the life of Birch Ridge community. So we pray that uh, that would be the case. And so we ask it now in Jesus' name, amen. I've been to a lot of preacher meetings in my life, and if you've never been to a preacher meeting, count yourself fortunate because they're boring. (laughs) I was at this big old preacher meeting, and we were in this big old room, and the great thing about the preacher meeting in that room was that all of these uh, windows on this one side, this wall, they were massive windows, and I I could see outside, and outside it was manicured, and the flowers were blooming, and you know, it, just, it was really nice. And so I'm, I'm frankly not paying any attention to the speaker, like maybe a couple of you right now. And I'm looking out the window, and I see this guy come into view. And I'm watching him, and he's swinging something like this. I'm like, what? What's he doing a weed whacker for? Don't he know us preachers were trying to get smart? What? Why are you running the weed whacker? Then he had these things on his ears. I'm, th- I'm thinking he's protecting his, you know, his eardrums and all this. He's walking around. I'm like, this is weird because I'm not hearing any sound. There's no noise. I'm like, maybe it's not a weed whacker. And I'm watching him. And then pretty soon he stops and, he, and he's... And then he falls to his knees. I'm like, he pray, he's praying. <laughs> but then he pulls out like a little shovel and he's digging dirt. And he sifts through the dirt and he puts something like this and he holds it up. And I'm like, ooh, what is that? I want to know what it is. And obviously, <clears throat> I figured out he's, he's not doing the weed whacking thing. He has a metal detector. Now, he looked like an idiot, but... He had a metal detector. There's things on his ears. Anybody here have a metal detector? Nobody going to admit it? So I'm watching this, and I'm like, man, he, he just looks stupid, you know. But the more I thought about it, the, the more I'm like, I want me some of that treasure. So I bought a metal detector. Yeah. So now I'm the stupid one. Now I look like a, you know. And so I got these ear things on, and I started walking around on the ground doing this, you know. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, you could always tell somebody's just like, oh, look, he he looks stupid. (laughs) But you always have someone, when you're out with your metal detector, walks up to you, and if, if you stop and look at them, then they go, what are you doing? 
And I, I, I'm so irritated by that. What do they think I'm doing? So I finally developed a stock answer to that question. I say that I'm from the government, and we're trying to determine if the ground we're standing on is radioactive enough to kill you. So sure enough, I'm out one time, I'm doing this, I got my little Mickey Mouse things on, you know, so I can hear the little um, sound of treasure down underneath the ground, you know, that's why you wear those things. Some guy walks up, I thought, oh boy, here we go, and I'm standing there, and I turned to look at him, and he goes, finding anything? Well, he didn't ask the other question. And I go, no, not really, I'm just finding trash. And I had a pocket full of trash, and I was, went like that. He goes, I have a metal detector. I said, really? He goes, we find stuff all the time. <laughs> I'm like, really? And then he started to tell me, he said, well, I have, I have a friend, and we go, we go out all the time, especially in spring and fall. And when we go out, we find all sorts of stuff. He goes, yeah, back at the house. He says, I have these mason jars full of Indian head pennies. Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got drawers full of silver coins that I found, mercury head dimes, walking liberty, quarter, half dollar, whatever. You know, I've, if I, and I'm like, ooh. He said, well, do you want to know how I do it? And I go, yeah. And, and so here's what he told me. He said that, that he and his buddy... They mainly go out in the spring and the fall. Remember, this, this, is, this is Michigan. But in the spring and the fall, the farmers plow, plow the fields. And so they go out driving in their car down dirt roads and in, in, you know, desolate areas where the uh, fields are. And they go out early in the morning or late in the evening when the sun comes at an angle like this and skips across the top of the uh, plowed field. And they're looking for a, sp uh, a reflection. And he said, when, when you see the, the sun hitting something that's reflecting in the ground there, he said that's probably a piece of, uh, pieces of broken glass. And that means that there were people there, maybe a broken window from a... A uh, house that was there 150 years ago. Uh, but there were people there a long time ago. And he said, so we get out. When we see that, we get out and we do our detecting. He said, man, you just wouldn't believe the stuff that we have found. I'm like, ooh. I said, well, I have a question. He goes, yeah. yeah. He says, go ahead, go ahead and ask. And I, and I said, um, do you have permission? He goes, no, we just do it. So then he stood there and talked to me a little bit more. And then he said to me, he lowered his voice like there were 100 people standing around us, you know. He said, let me tell you what happened last year. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> he said, me and my buddy were out and, and uh, he dug up a cache, uh, uh, a big a big metal um, box, and it was filled with gold coins. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> and, he, and I said, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, and we, we took it in and had it appraised. And it was worth 
$75,000 in gold coins. I said, wow, where was that? <laughs> and he wouldn't tell me, of course, I mean, because he thought maybe I'd go out and, you know. But I also thought to myself, one of the reasons that he didn't want me to know where he got that from is that he didn't ask permission. He took the stuff out of that guy's ground, and, and nobody said he could do that. I'm thinking, ooh, I don't think, I don't think that's right. Seems wrong, wrong to me. I don't seem wrong to you. Yeah, that, that doesn't seem right. But let's think about if if that story was exactly the same, but we, we change one little detail. And the little detail is this: that um, the guy with the metal detector went to the farmer's house and knocked on the door and got permission first. He got permission first. I mean, just think about that. So then he, goes, then he goes out into the field, and maybe it's a you know, little corner lot there that had been plowed up down by the dirt roads, and he runs his metal detector. He gets a hit on his machine. He gets down, digs, and he finds a cache of gold coins worth a lot of money, and he's like, man, look at what I've got. So he looks around, imagine now, he looks around, and nobody's watching him, so he buries it back into the ground, covers it back up. Then he goes back up to the farmer's house, knocks on the door, and says, thanks for letting me look around. You know, while I was detecting, I was, I was wondering if you ever considered selling any of your property. And when I was down there on that, that one lot, down there on the corner, um, I thought to myself, man, that would be a good place to build a retirement home. Would you consider selling me just that half-acre corner down by the dirt road? And the farmer thinks about it, and he thinks, oh, I got a live one here, shoots him a price, and the guy says, yeah, I'll buy that. And so he pays the money, and once the deed is in his name, he goes back with his metal detector, finds that cache of gold coins, and he's made about $70,000. Now, I don't know how you feel when you hear that story, and I'm just like, oh, you know what, that's, that's not right. Seems underhanded to me. But that's exactly the, the same story that Jesus told in Matthew 13. Let's take a moment and just read, read that text. It's up there on the screen. It's a, it's a one-verse parable, and it's the story I just told you, except there's no metal detector. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's, it's, it's the same, same story. Um, we recognize that this is a parable about the kingdom because it says the kingdom of God is like. And this idea of being born again into another kingdom 
was so revolutionary, so hard to understand, that what Jesus did was he would tell stories to help people understand what it meant to be part of the kingdom of God. And so he would tell stories about things that they knew, you know, like treasure in a field or planting seed in the ground or something like that. And then he would relate it to a spiritual truth. And so that's, that's what parables are all about. I've, I've, I've decided, and I think I'm right, that every parable was told to answer some question in the minds of the listeners of Jesus. And so we, we look at this little parable and we ask ourselves the question, you know, what, what answer is Jesus trying to give to, to, to this question that's in their minds? And so what's the question? And the question I think that he's answering by telling this little story is, is that uh, the question is, why is it a big deal to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? And the story, I think, answers that question. But before we get into what all of that means, let's start by just recognizing, first of all, that this is a really true-to-life story in the first century. Yeah, we kind of read that about, you know, this treasure all being down there in the ground, and we think it's really weird. But I, the truth of the matter is, I think 2,000 years ago, it was really common to bury your treasure down in the ground. I mean, it's just, that's just what you did. You put your valuables down there because there's no bank. There's no safety deposit boxes. There's no safe that you can buy and you know, hide in the corner of your house, didn't have any of that. And so it, it was necessary for people to bury their stuff in the ground. I mean, especially, for example, if uh, the landowner decided, I'm going to be gone on a big trip for four weeks. I don't want to leave my gold and my valuables laying around. I'm going to bury it in the ground. Or if maybe the landowner was going uh, away to war, going to go fight in a war. Uh, wow, better... I'm going to bury all my valuable stuff, going to put it in the dirt. Or maybe if uh, a landowner had word that uh, there was an army that was going to attack and you didn't know what was going to happen to all your good stuff, you better bury it in the ground and put it in the dirt. But the problem with that, even though it's a pretty good, pretty good plan, the problem with that is sometimes a landowner never came back from the war. He got killed in the war. Or maybe the landowner had buried all of his stuff uh, and, and got sick and died. Never dug it back up. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons why we can say, you know what, this is not some sort of weird kind of parable. It's not far-fetched. I think it's, it's more common than you might think. Now, let me just address one other issue that might be in, in your minds if you're really paying close attention, and you're inquisitive. Doesn't it sound almost weird that Jesus is telling a story about something that's a little bit shady? I mean, this is kind of shifty. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is telling this story. And I have a couple comments about that. One is Jesus didn't say, go and do likewise. 
The other is, it's 2,000 years ago, and so there's a very different culture. There are different laws. Um, it's uh, different 2,000 years ago. And we remind ourselves that the parable is not about law, not about learning the legal system. The parable is about teaching you the kingdom of God is like. All right, so now what, what does the parable teach us that the kingdom of God is like? Let me read verse 44 again, and it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Here's the main point, and it's, I mean, it's just staring you right in the face, and probably don't need me to tell you this, but the main point of this story is that the treasure in the field was so valuable that the finder sold everything he had to get that, to get that treasure. I mean, that's how valuable it was. I mean, we've discovered that there's really a, a cost to everything, and the more valuable something is, the higher the cost, and, you know, it's like, well, you get what you pay for, you know. I know that when I go home uh, next week, I'm probably going to have to buy me another car, my car, which I call lovingly the old gray mare. She really ain't what she used to be. And so I'm going to have to go shopping for a car, pro probably next week, go shopping for a car, and plunk down. I pay cash for all my cars. I'm a high roller. I'm going to plunk down $1,500 and get me another car. But the problem with a $1,500 car is you get a $1,500 car, you know? Um, you, you, get, you get what you pay for. So I, I'm just saying, this guy that saw this treasure come up out of the ground, he recognized this, how valuable it was, and he knew that he had to do something to get it. So he, he reburied it in the ground. And the text says he sold everything he had. And when it says everything, I'm thinking that means everything. Sold all that he all that he had so that he had enough money to buy the land that the treasure was in. But now, don't miss this little detail. He did it with joy. He, the man sold every single thing he had, and he was happy to do it. I mean, just think if you had to sell every single thing that you own, every single thing. You know, your favorite chair, <laughs> um, your favorite toy. I mean, just, just think about it. Just every, sell everything you have. But the text said he did it with great joy. And we're like, how, how is that possible? It's possible because he recognized the tremendous value of the treasure. I mean, in his mind, he was getting a deal. Sell everything you have and just, just then go buy that land. He knew that the value of the land far exceeded the value of anything that he had. What a deal. Now imagine that uh, when I get back to Michigan, 
that I'm talking to a friend who has this inside knowledge that there's a 10-acre piece of property up north in Michigan uh, that's coming for sale. And he found out from a friend who found out from a friend, this is all on the QT, but he found out that, that there's oil on that land, a massive reservoir of oil. And it's coming up for sale. And you know that that's coming up for sale. And you know that they want, let's say, 10 acres, and they want $100,000. Man, that's a lot of money, you know? But if I have a chance to buy that, I'm buying it. I mean, I don't have two quarters to rub together, but I'm I'm, going to sell stuff, you know? I'm going to sell everything I have because I know that once I own that piece of property, the oil reservoir underneath is going to make me a multimillionaire. Yeah, I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to sell my toys. I might sell a kidney. Is that, is that legal? Oh, And I think you would too. I mean, if you really knew that there was that that land held enough oil to make you a multimillionaire. You didn't have maybe you don't have a hundred thousand dollars, but you may you find a way because the value of the treasure that's there in that piece of property. So this story, this parable, it is a story about the high value of the kingdom of God. Um. Jesus wants his hearers to know that to be part of the kingdom of God means everything. It means everything. There's nothing more important than having a right relationship with God. Now, it's not talking about buying your way into heaven or something like that. That's not what this is about. But Jesus wants his hearers to understand that being part of the kingdom is like, is like, this valuable treasure out there in the middle of the field, there's nothing more important, not even a single thing. And so whatever it takes, be part of the kingdom of God. Whatever it takes. And if there's something that holds you back in your relationship with God, well then just like get rid of it. Because there's nothing more important like this guy's selling everything he has. It's, there's nothing more important. I've known people down across the years that they, they came to God and had a, got a, uh, developed a relationship with God. Their sins were forgiven. And uh, they were still part of a, a group of friends. And their friends were not good friends. Their friends wanted to pull them back into the pit of misery with them, you know. Misery does love company. And so they're like, oh, you know, you're going to church again today and, you know, just kind of riding on him. Uh, If that's the case, guess what? Get new friends. Just get new friends. Because there's nothing more, there's nothing more important than being in a right relationship with God and being part of his kingdom. Nothing more important. I've also known people that have had jobs, jobs, employment, even careers, 
that have hurt their relationship with God. I mean, it just, it just, they just couldn't go all out for God because they, well, I mean, I'll let you figure out some examples. I, you're probably way ahead of me on this one. But I've known people that have struggled in their relationship with God because of their employment. Guess what? If that's the case, get a different job. I'm leaving on a jet plane soon. <laughs> so I'm good. Do, do you see what Jesus is trying to say to them? And now, 2,000 years later, what he's saying to us is, there's nothing more important. Not one single thing. And so then when you begin to talk about things that are important, then you're starting to talk about priorities. And surely this is a story about the priority of the kingdom. And I guess that raises the question, why? Why is the kingdom of God the most important thing ever? Why, why, why all this fuss? I mean, maybe you've even wondered, why do, why do I bother keep coming to church? You know, why do I, you know? Um, it's a question about priorities. I mean, why, why is it that I can stand here and say with full conviction, nothing else really matters when it's compared to being in a right relationship with God? And the answer to that question is, this is so vitally important because you were created to be in a right relationship with God. Adam and Eve were, were created into the Garden of Eden to have a relationship with God. They were hardwired. It's in their DNA to have a relationship with God the Father, and that same DNA is in you. You are hardwired to have a relationship with God, and nothing else will fill that deep longing in your heart. Money, um, drugs, sex, Rock and roll, although that might come close. <laughs> nothing, nothing will fill that hole in your heart because it's, it's literally wired into you to have this relationship with God. You will never find hap true happiness apart from God. You will never find true joy uh, apart from God. Being part of God's kingdom is why you were born onto this planet. It's why you were created. The kingdom ought to be number one priority to you and to me. Now, it's at this point, I think, that the, that the little parable takes, potentially takes a bit of a turn and what started out to be a nice little friendly story about digging in the dirt gets personal. Because really, the parable wants us to ask the question, is the kingdom of God my number one priority? I mean, that's a question for you to ask yourself and to answer yourself. I mean, is it? Is it the number one thing on your list? And if you want help, I mean, maybe you know the answer to that right away, but if you need help, there are some markers that you can check. Check 
take a look at your checkbook. That's one little indicator. Or look at, how, look at your calendar, how you spend your time. I mean, how, how invested, and I don't mean money, because that, that sounds bad. I don't mean that, but how invested are you in the kingdom? You know, is this, is this, is this where your heart is? Is this your highest priority? It's, it's a question like that that really makes us stop and think. In fact, in fact, when we ter- make that turn and ask that question of this little parable that seemed so lighthearted at first, it turns out to be a brutal parable <laughs> because it makes us stare in the mirror and ask ourselves the hard question. Is God and his kingdom my highest priority? Soon the lamb will be here. Behold the lamb. And I'm praying and hoping and believing that when he arrives in a few days and then stands here one week from today, that he will look out and see a group of people like I am right now. And that he will be able to know by looking that You are a group of people that have made the decision to make God and his kingdom the number one priority. The number one priority. In other words, when he gets here, he'll look out and say, man, these people are all in. Yeah. That's what it takes. Let's stand and let me pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the privilege of standing before these people one more time. Thank you for this challenge this morning that wasn't just for these folk, but a challenge for for me as well. Father, if there's somebody here today that is struggling with making you the priority, I pray that you would help them now. Draw close to them and Speak to their hearts. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in their heart and in their life. Father, I give you thanks for Birch Ridge Community Church. And I pray now that you would bless them, that you would keep them, and that as the months turn into years that they will discover they are living out their very best days as a church. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.